0: Awesome. So uh, thanks everyone for joining us uh, for this awesome interview. And uh, and I'm really happy to welcome uh, uh, John. And as a quick bit of background, John has a super interesting uh, background where he studied accounting. He was uh, in Ernst & Young uh, uh, public accounting for uh, five years, but then made the shift to strategic finance and FP&A. And he has large company experience he has fast growing startup experience and and uh, so there's a lot that i'm sure that uh, uh, you know a lot of us can learn from his experience and so he's been at Ariba, which was then acquired by sap he's been cfo of financial force Mapbox, Hardness, which are all kind of well funded you know fast growing companies financial forces i think raised about 200 million dollars Mapbox about 350 Hardness where he's a CFO now has again raised about 200 million dollars. They were, you know, they're now a unicorn. I think the last valuation, public valuation, was 1.7 billion dollars. So, I you know John has been at the helm of a lot of these very fast growing companies. And uh, I'm thrilled to have John Bonnie join us. So, John, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Awesome. So, let's uh, jump right in, right? So, uh, let me start by asking you, uh, you know, about that shift that you made, you know, you're a trained accountant, you were in Ernst Young, you were in kind of an auditor, if I'm not mistaken, but then you decided to make the shift to strategic finance and FPNA. a lot of the you know, questions that we have received in, in earlier interviews uh, has been around how you make that shift, right? Because how, how do you get that first opportunity as somebody with that accounting background and, and you go and make the shift to FPNA. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you, why you decided to make that shift, and, and how you got that first opportunity? How you convinced somebody to just say that, yeah, you can come and uh, do this job?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, and I, you know, I was fortunate to to come out of college, um, and I actually did a combined program in college where I was able to to get a master's in accounting and also do a CPA with some internship experience. So that was pretty amazing early on to kind of get a foundational skill set. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, for, for, for in the early days, you know, I knew that, um, you know, from an audit perspective in a big four, big five, back then it was maybe six of them back then, but um, you know, it was, it was a great chance to basically get in, you know, apply fundamentals from the accounting world that I learned, but more importantly, it was to be in a business setting and talk to other finance executives, you know, and so, and, and also learning from a you know, project project management mindset, learning those skills, right? Understanding, and I think you know one of the things that, as I was in that space, um, that I gravitated towards was, you know, as 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 some of my clients were either making acquisitions or they were looking at forward thinking or they were talking about their guidance to Wall Street. You know, I started kind of picking up on that and and found that very interesting, right? Is that you know not only understanding where you've been, but where where these companies are going. And and how do they manage that? And so that piqued my interest. Um, And, you know, what I was with Ernest Young, I was able to sort of transfer into a, what I would say, a valuation or an M&A. We called it Transaction Advisory Services Group, which applied my accounting fundamentals. But then I got to kind of get entrenched in all the modeling and learning and projections and valuing companies uh, and things like that, right? And I did that for, for a year to two, which was really kind of a springboard for me to say, okay, I really enjoyed that. Um, And then what I was sort of gravitating towards, I said, wow, I love working for my clients. You know, now I really want to want to join one and and work work for them directly. Um, But it was that transition where I, you know, I I really loved my time in audit, had great mentors. They helped me. They saw what I was was gravitating towards and they helped me kind of move into into this kind of more um, kind of strategic finance world. Uh, and then I joined a company directly from there in fp and so that was kind of how I, I made the transition.
0: Got it. That's awesome. And and as you look back on that journey, right? I know you were a part of Ariba, which, which saw yeah. a successful exit to uh, SAP and you spent some time over there, but your first kind of uh, your CFO role was uh, at Financial Force, right? But as you yeah. look back at, at that journey of how you got to that first CFO role, uh, you know, what roles before that do you think really prepared you to, go take over, um, you know, the CFO role at some of the, you know, companies that you've done that, uh, you know, in the, in the recent past?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it was, it was a combination of, of things, you know, I, um, you know, at, at Ariba, um, you know, I really had, again, an, an amazing mentor, you know, it's the CFO of Ariba who hired me, brought me in, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was kind of coming out of my first, I worked at an, an fp um, at a company called ServiceSource which was another high growth startup um, but but it was I was ready what I saw early on was the SaaS the world of SaaS was starting to eat, eat you know eat everything software was eating everything and SaaS was taking off so I heard about Ariba met the CFO at Ariba and it uh, really gravitated towards that opportunity and I actually had to move you know I just got married and moved back to Atlanta where I'm from to work for Ariba but anyways while I was doing that you know it, really what I Enjoyed so much as Ariba was a smaller public company that really was nimble, right? And they were really operated in a way that you could you could make decisions quickly. Um, you could you could uh, you know you didn't have to wait on on you know a long long time for all these decisions. But you also were had to understand your investors and understand your constituents and your stakeholders really well, like Wall Street and everything else. So I kind of sat in between those two models under a great CFO, right? And and that's where i really learned my chops right of you know kind of learning how to you know build a global operating plan across multiple business units you know again a smaller company but we still had international business units we made some acquisitions right how do, how do you fold them into a planning process i think all of those things really were instrumental in, in having me you know ultimately uh, land as a financial at financial forces cfo in fact You know, my president at Ariba, so he was the president of field operations, who I worked closely with at Ariba. He's the one that let me know about Financial Force. He was on the board saying, Hey, we're hiring a CFO, and based on your experience and working with you and what you've done, I think you'd be a great fit, right? So it kind of all, I was very fortunate that all worked out that way. Um, But that was really pivotal, you know, in helping me understand. And Financial Force was looking for someone to really help them build it. An organization to plan. You know, they had never really done sort of that kind of next evolution of planning and building and scaling. So that's kind of was a natural segue.
0: Got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back a little bit later and talk about mentors and networks Great. and the value and all of that, right? But uh, now, now, staying on on the topic of the career path again, you you went from being director to senior director to VP, and then ultimately you got that uh, CFO uh, opportunity that you've uh, obviously been doing uh, ever since. Uh, but a lo- lot of people don't get that shot at being a CFO. In in your experience, what do you think separates the folks who maybe get to director, senior director, VP, but then don't get that because the pyramid gets narrow as you go to the top, right? And what in your experience are some of the characteristics that gives people the shot uh, at being uh, you know the CFO?
1: Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. I mean, I think you know, there's kind of that. There's, there's, and it's there's table stakes, right? Which I don't think, you know, th- those are just great fundamentals, as we said around, you know, the, the accounting, the finance knowledge, the project management. Those things are kind of table stakes, and I think as you grow in your career, or at least for me, right? I mean, I will be honest. There is there is an aptitude of, you know, always making sure that your network, like who, you know, who you're talking with, where you are, how you're growing your career, that you keep your eyes and ears open, and and you know always be communicating with different folks in different areas i mean that, that's a real important thing of keeping you know your net i say cast your net wide right because you don't know to your point when an opportunity is going to come your way right you just don't right there's it can either be an inbound it can be an outbound right and there's so many different ways and i think you know for me like what what sort of separates the next stage right as you as on your finance career to kind of the cfo really back around where you graduated from the fundamentals or you're leveraging, but you're now like helping actually operate the business to to help operate the business to achieve its goals, right? So it's, you kind of go from, I say, a scorekeeper to a coach, right? And it's a different, it's an evolution where, you know, you know, hey, I know best practices around how we should think about compensation for sales. You know, I've seen it or, oh, here's some ideas on how we should think about you know, avoiding some dilution as we continue to scale and ramp our employee base. So all these things that you kind of have to learn on the way, you got to be willing to apply and put that up front uh, for for a company to grow and scale. So I think that's kind of the main distinction is you got to move from that kind of reactive a little bit or, or reporting mindset to no, I'm actually proactively going to help the company achieve these goals. You know, and the answer is not no, right? You'll hear sometimes to say, well, how do you how do you not make sure you're not saying no all the time, right? And the answer is you can say no, right? Or, or not recommended, but you also have to come with, how about this instead, right? Or have we, can we try this? And that's like the most important distinction, I think, from kind of a CFO, a good CFO versus versus kind of rising in your career early.
0: Got it. And, and so we've talked about how you made that shift from uh, accounting to strategic finance and, uh, you know, how having both sides of that equation is always helpful if you want to go be be a CFO. But that's also something that uh, it's an important career decision that people struggle with, right? Like, do I go deep in, in one area? Do I keep going deep? Because there are lots of CFOs who have come purely from that, you know, accounting control background and they get that CFO opportunity. There are others maybe have zero uh, background in that area. They come from investment banking and some other areas, they get that opportunity, an important decision in front of a lot of people. Christine actually asked that question just now, is that, is it necessary to just move from accounting to strategic finance to get that uh, opportunity? A you a great made that shift. Yeah, you yeah, made that sure. shift and, and do you think it's absolutely necessary to, or, or does it increase your chances of uh, getting to that CFO role if you make that shift from accounting to strategic finance?
1: You know, I, it's a great question, and I, I honestly think it's uh, it, it's definitely not mutually exclusive, right? There is no there's no kind of firm, my belief, yes or no on that answer. I think I think what's important is that everyone is going to sort of gravitate. I mean, we naturally are going to gravitate towards things that interest us more, right? Or just give us more drive, give us want us. We wake up and we think about it more, and and mine just happened to be like as again I was an auditor and I started gravitating t- towards some of these forward thinking you know, some of these guidance and some of the Wall Street things. Now, some people, they say, well, you know what, that's not where I gravitate towards. And, and, and that's okay, too. So I absolutely think there are multiple paths. I do think, though, that, you know, as, as folks aspire to be a CFO, you, you have to be, you have to be, you have your core competency, right? But you also have to have secondary competencies as well, right? You cannot, so you can't ignore FPNA and you can't ignore accounting, right? So you have to, like, you have to embrace both. Right, but it doesn't mean you have to be doing both all the time, or have done both all the time. Um, and also, you know, one of the things that I've always done is you also hire to your weakness, right, or to your right. And we can talk a little bit more about that as you said on, on mentorship stuff like that. But that's the other most important thing: is you say, hey, you know what, I'm great at being a controller. I know international standards accounting. I know how to set up and you know all these things. You know what? For financial modeling, you know, five three statement models in you know, in various degrees of, of complexity, I'm not my thing, but you know what, I'm going to hire somebody who is, right? And then, and, and so I think that's kind of, you, you got to kind of balance and fill in your, your areas where you're, you're not as comfortable, right? But you still have to be well-versed, so to speak.
0: Got it. That's great. And, and so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the choices you have made in terms of the companies you've joined and, you know, everybody makes these uh, choices it's always interesting for me to hear and I'm sure for the audience to hear how you think about it as as they're thinking about uh, their own paths forward right now uh, you know you have worked at very fast growing well-funded you know, you, you know uh, highly valued venture funded startups you have worked in public companies Ariba and SAP uh, you know almost five years was, was that right and but as you compare and contrast the experiences yeah. that you had, in a public company in these fast growing venture funded companies what in your experience has been uh, the difference and and is it that hey, both are different but equally good in different ways or is it that one you p- clearly prefer one over the other like how, how, how have you thought about uh, those experiences
1: yeah it's a great question you know i think uh, you know I, I think i'll start off by saying with all of them um, I, I don't really have regrets more about learning. right it's it was their amazing learning experiences to figure out where I do have sort of a natural affinity or natural skill set, and where I need to work more harder, right, um, so, you know, you know, the larger public company, as I said, Ariba was an interesting one is because it was sort of a smaller, more nimble public company. And so there was an ability to kind of see both the, you know, kind of the, again, the external, the, the external constituents, the investors and understand what they need and want and why, um, and also our internal and how do you rally your internal company around key goals uh, so that ultimately shareholder value is growing right and so you know i really enjoyed that you know to be honest and that's i mean i think i, I was fortunate because i could kind of learn both of being nimble operating quickly rolling your sleeves up right not you can't you're not can't rely on people to do things for you you got to do it but also understand the stakeholders the influence and everything else right so so again i i think that is a, a wonderful Learning experience. Now in, in SAP, I also learned just great things about, I mean, how a large company operates and especially international, right? For companies like all of us who are working where more and more is remote, more and more is international becomes more of the norm. I learned just amazing, you know, skill sets there around working across the globe in different cultures, different areas, different things. And so that was extremely useful. You know, I think ultimately coming out of SAP. You know, but again, where I gravitated is I kind of missed that nimble, like I, like my, my speed of, of operation. And I love just kind of constantly not knowing, to be honest, what's going to happen today. Right. Like that's kind of just who I am, how I'm wired. And like, and, and so I missed a little bit of that, right. With, with the, with a larger company, it's much more stable. You learn a lot, but the surprises are less generally. Right. And so that's when I kind of decided, you know, I'm going to take the skill sets I've learned and go back kind of to a smaller environment where i can make an impact and, and have a difference every day and that's just you know kind of again it's a personal decision right like it, there's multiple paths to the cfo right and and so a lot of people go big company and rise up the ranks and shift out or stay in and, and it happens in different ways but but for me i think i took the learnings and then ultimately what i like with these these kind of higher growth startups and again it's not it's not it's not like they're all Roses. I mean, you know, people who read TechCrunch. Not everything is up and to the right all the time. It just that's just not true, and and there's always challenges. And so you gotta, as a younger company CFO, you've gotta kind of like the more visceral impact. You're gonna feel the highs higher, and you're gonna feel the lows lower. Right? That's just reality. And you gotta kind of like have that as your as your personality type.
0: Yep. And you know, and I've 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 talked to other uh, CFOs of very impactful companies but ultimately their thought process around uh, um, you know the cfo job is that it, it's a very different job for a you know public company right the nature of the job changes and uh, and they want to be in these fast growing growth uh, oriented companies but when it's time for the company to go public like i'm out i'm going to go do something else and and focus on that right so what is your personal preference how do you think about you know for example you know, if you got the opportunity to go be uh, you know, a public company CFO, let's say hardness in a few years goes public and you have the opportunity to you know, continue to be a CFO of the public company. Then first of all, do you agree that the nature of the job that you're doing today is going to be very different than the expectations of a public company CFO? That's one. And, and two, what is your personal preference around and, and possibly doing that uh, or not? And, and how do you think about that, uh, that, that choice and trade-off? Hey, uh, John. I think uh, your audio.
1: I apologize. Sorry about that. One on mute. Um, Yeah, no. It's it's a great question.
0: You know, and I think
1: um, you know it. Kind of, it's kind of in a similar vein that I was, I was, I was kind of discussing is that there is, you know, there are obviously trade offs on on the focus areas, right? And and I think, but there's also like companies are so different. I mean, a a public an IPO is is obviously kind of just a, a one brief point in a company's journey, right? And it's an important point, but, you know, it's even different between a younger VC, you call it younger kind of early stage funded VC kind of head of finance CFO opportunity where, you know, you're gonna be very, very hands-on, right? Where you're literally building things from scratch, right? Um, To a mid-stage VC, where if you're coming in as a CFO, you probably have a lot more change management potentially around things that, you know, need to catch up in the systems and process and all those good things. And then you have a young IPO, you know, call it a younger public company and, a, and, a, and a call it a more mature public company. And so all four of those are very different, right? As far as the skills, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, so, so I think they obviously, you know, kind of gets back to what you gravitate towards and understanding your skill sets and what you really enjoy. Um, what I've what I've found in my career, again, based on what I've done is saying, you know what, I really love building, like I just love, I love building, I love, you know, having a different challenge every day, different prioritizations, I love hiring and mentoring. And, and I like doing that at a pace, like at a velocity that is, uh, that is, that is quick, right. And and, and and so what does that do for me is that just I've gravitated towards kind of the, you know, call it the. I'll call it the venture-funded companies, but generally, that you know, the fit's there, the product's there, and you know, I, I'm not there obviously to help, you know, figure out the make sure the product market fit and everything else is there. I want to join great people that have that, that vision and have part of that solved, and then I am there to help scale the company right all the way up. You know, my goal with Harness, you know, our goal is to be, you know, a public company. That's just a step in our journey, and you know, our uh, and and that's something I look forward to contributing to you know will i will i be at harness in 20 years and 15 years? you know if we go public that's hard to say right but but i do know that it's important for me because i've seen sort of the younger i've seen the public company activity i've been part of it i've been part of the younger and i want to see that journey through right um, so yeah
0: got it that's great and so let's talk a little bit about you know the lessons learned in that CFO seat, right, and and uh, financial force was the first one in those early years uh, of that CFO role. Can you you know think back to maybe yeah. some of the mistakes that you made, and and if you were to go back and and give that first time CFO advice today, given everything you know, what were some of the mistakes you made, and and uh, you know what were the learnings there?
1: Yeah. So always, uh, first thing is always. Uh, Check out what your sales tax, uh, if you've done your sales tax correctly. No, I'm just kidding. That is a common, that is literally a common thing, no matter what startup you go into at its stage is, uh, you'd be surprised. Most companies, sales tax will, uh, will come up and bite you. So check that out. But um, no, outside of that, I think, you know, the main thing is, and, and is always making sure that you're, you're, you're not trying to figure out everything first on your own. And what I mean by that is like, everyone's going to do something for the first time. You're your first time CFO, you're your first time fundraising, you're your first time global planning, doing a global plan. Like there's no sense for you to take all that on yourself and try to figure it out on your own. Right. And that's a mistake that we can all make. We think sometimes we can, we know we were proud, we can do it. But that's where I kind of get back to. There's so many other people that have done this, seen this movie before. Right. And there's all different flavors. And so as you form your own journey and through these things, what, one of the mistakes I made early on is, you know, even in our first fundraising at Financial Forces, not necessarily going and, and, and seeking advice on folks that had done it before many times, right? And so i made it a concerted effort ever since then, right? When, we're, when I'm tackling something new or something's changing, always reach out to, and everyone wants to help, right? We'll, we can talk a little bit more about mentors and peers, but even your peer group, you know, everyone's, you know, so many people have done these kind of things. And that was one of the things I think that really helped me grow as a CFO over time is, is constantly, and you share feedback, you get feedback and you share feedback with others.
0: So. Got it. Yeah. Let, let's dig into that. Speaking of mentors and, and uh, the, the network. Uh, so word mentors, you talked about how your first CFO role essentially came from, uh, uh, you know, somebody you, you had worked with uh, at Ariba, right? And so h- how important have mentors in general been in your career? And are you a kind of person who actively seeks out mentors. Has it been more like serendipity and, and good luck? And, and and I'd love to learn about that experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably half and half, you know, I've definitely been lucky. Like I said, you know, putting yourself in positions to, to, to become lucky is important, right? So always keeping your your, your eyes open, your, your ears to the ground, so to speak. So, um, but but regardless of whether, you know, what the model of how you do it or it happens is it's, I've learned it's how important it is, right? And I think, you know, I mentioned uh, the CFO at Ariba and the CEO, like just incredible mentors for me that w- allowed me to always learn and bounce off ideas and, and understand, uh, you know, alternatives and learnings was incredibly important. Um, you know, but I also think, you know, it, and it's not, it doesn't always have to be, as you said, kind of the manager employee relationship piece, right? In fact, it's good to have, you have to have that, but then it's also good to have outside, right? So stuff that where there's not, there's not a direct kind of manager employee influence is important too. Um, and, you know, for that piece, a lot of times is, is what I've done is, is all throughout my career, you know, whether I've hired certain people that we all right, we all meet people in our career, Sometimes we hire them, they move on or we move on companies or they go start new companies or work on new companies. But I've made a very concerted focus to keep that network alive, right? Always from the very beginning. And so you're always out there. You're saying, oh, you know, I've got an interesting challenge here around sales compensation or I've got an interesting challenge here around international subsidiary setup. Like, where do you go, right? Like, you know, where do you go for those answers, right? Or inputs. And so what I've always done is make sure Again, you've got people you've worked with in finance that are doing all sorts of different things at different companies now. And you keep that network alive and you, know, and you, you feed the network and you, you, you do back. I mean, I was just exchanging just before the call. I had two, two CFOs that I had the luxury of hiring that are now CFOs at their own companies. Um, and we're, we're sitting here exchanging benchmarks on, uh, on how big of a GNA organization should we be as we scale and by what amounts. Right. So things like that, like we just keep that network alive is, is just so important.
0: All right. And so as you, you know, look at you, you talked about how the people you had hired are now CFOs. Uh, in your experience, again, the patterns that you've seen in the people who successfully make that transition and, and get those jobs, what are the learnings there? Like if you were to look at you know the people in the audience today and and give them some input on. Uh, here's what you've you've seen in terms of the people who actually went into those cfo roles are there patterns that you've seen
1: yeah it's a great question i mean i think i think the biggest pattern right from pattern recognition that i see is that the folks that have kind of made that you know there's i'm fortunate is you know there's a, there's a lot in my network now that are cfos at various companies and i'd say the one attribute that really a couple attributes right that that uh, they all share is you know, it is really about the um, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but where where their focus and their desire is working across functionally, okay, across the company and and, and looking at each department and function leader and everyone else as, as a part of the same as your team, right? And and not 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 somebody else's team. And and what I mean by that is, you know, everyone's got goals, objectives, and everything else they're trying to achieve for the company. And the question is not, you know, not about whether or not are they going to get enough money to, to you know, in their budget, right? Like that's just a. It's it's more about like wait a minute, you know, how do we help them with the money or the budget they have, and what are the what are the risks and opportunities within this organization to to either achieve or miss their goals, and then how do we help help shore up that so that it's not you know that the risk is lower of missing and we can overachieve. So like that mindset, right, is is what really separates out. I think folks that, um, that become CFOs or who don't, right? Is, is that ability to sort of work with people and say, no, I'm here. Yes, I'm here as a fiduciary duty, as a CFO. Yes, I'm here to make sure we don't waste company resources. But more than that, like I'm here to make sure we achieve our goals. Full stop, right? Like I have my own goals, you have your own goals, but we have to help each other achieve them because they won't happen in a vacuum or isolated. So that's, if I had to say that, and that, that
0: mentality is super important. For- right, so essentially being a business builder at the end of the day, because that's, that's the job, right? And, and yeah, not you're being a business
1: partner. Yeah, you, exactly. You hear that term business partner, business builder, you know, I, you hear decision support, right? You hear things like that, all these different terms, but what is it ultimately, as you said, it builds down to being a builder and putting, you know, making sure you put yourself in the shoes of other people in the company, right? And not just stay kind of in your own little, your own little box. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and what you your, especially as you get into the CFO role, so much of the job is about, you know, like you talked about, filling the gaps in your own skill set and building teams and leading teams and inspiring people and, you know, convincing them to come work for you and all that kind of stuff, right? And and did that come naturally to you, uh, the management leadership aspects to it? Or is that something you had to work at? And and, and I'd love to know.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, no, I mean, definitely, I mean, it's, You know, to say naturally, I probably wouldn't say naturally, I'd say an affinity, yes, meaning I, you know, I I guess I've always, I kind of have always enjoyed working, right, with people. And that was, that was kind of something that, uh, and 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 that, you know, that social aspect of it and working with people and helping people has always been a natural drive of mine. So that, that has come more natural, but, but then there's kind of the whole element of the how-to you know as you said with the management and scale you know hiring managing helping mentor and you know again i think i think one of the biggest you know learnings for me through that process of hiring and helping mentor again one of those things is is don't ever you know one of the things is don't ever close the door on past right relationships or or, or, or current right and and you know i i i pride myself on sort of making sure again that you know just because you have an employee that's that's not working for you today doesn't mean that they're 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 no longer you know in your your network or in your sphere of influence or in your you know your ability to help. And so that's number one. Um, and then I think also on the tactical side is making sure that really being transparent, this is probably the hardest part is being transparent in, on on feedback and it's both ways, right? Not not only to the employee, but also back to yourself and asking for feedback. And I think that's absolutely critical and harder to do, right? Because it's something, you know, not, it, it makes us feel a little uncomfortable sometimes when we have to give or receive feedback, that's just human nature. But what I will say is that the more and more you do that, and the more you get comfortable doing that, the better you'll perform, the better your team performs. And it just, it, it makes a world of difference. And that's really important.
0: Got it. That's great. And shifting focus a little bit, you were talking about the the role of finance of in terms of partnering with the rest of the company, yeah. right? And uh, especially in these very fast-growing, uh, you know, venture-funded companies. The pressures are quite high, right? So you you raise large amounts of money, and the defining characteristic of these companies is growth. It's like growth at all costs, and you're going for it, and you know, that can create pressure, high-pressure situations, right? And uh, and a lot of the times, the CFO is kind of uh, you know partnering with a lot of other people, and it's the role of the CFO to keep the team honest in terms of the goals that we have set for ourselves and how we're going after them and whether we're going to achieve them or not. And so what are some of the lessons learned in terms of collaborating with, you know, the rest of the management team and and, uh, maybe even also working with the CEO and partnering with the CEO, what lessons have you taken away, uh, uh, you know, across especially financial force and Mapbox and, and uh, harness from that perspective?
1: No, it's a great question, and you know, and growth pressure is very real, right? I mean, we're we're living in a world today where, especially if if you're in in lucky fortunate enough to be in, in our ecosystem of software services, SaaS, whatever it's, but the expectations are huge, right? As, as you said, right? I mean, you when you raise funding, uh, investors are not looking at you and what you've done; they're looking at what you're going to do, right? That's not, and it's it's always it's going to be the next stage of the journey, and so, you know, I think some of the things that that I think are important to balance, right? As you said, is that, I mean, a really good relationship with your CEO, right? Is absolutely critically important, as you said. And also, again, stress testing each other on on goals and objectives and feasibility of these goals and objectives. And and all that's, you know, there is a lot of art along with science in that, right? I mean, I think the science part is as a CFO, you should always be kind of looking at back to my point earlier, you're kind of, you probably hear a theme, but what have other companies done? What are they doing? How fast have they grown? How much have they, how do they report this? How do, so having that constant benchmarking mentality is super important, right? As a CFO, because you're, you got to be grounded in, you know, comparables and benchmarks and everything else so that you're not necessarily, uh, you know, doing something that is unheard of, if you will. Um, you know, I think the other thing, though, is in, in all of that is like you can never, ever compromise integrity, right? As you said, on reporting or how you're representing the business. You know, I think the other important thing is like we, we, we have a thing here internally at, at Harness where we say, hey, you know, we're going to make exceptions sometimes to pay sales compensation when, when something is a little different and unorthodox and a salesperson, you know, maybe it, it, it falls outside the scope of the normal comp plan. But we got we're going to take care of that person. Okay. That's an exception. That's okay. Now, do we change how we report ARR revenue? No, that never changes, right? So like, there's things where you can make exceptions for the good of the business and and it's okay. Then there's things you cannot make exceptions for, right? You can't change definitions on the fly just for reasons of growth pressure, right? You know, it sounds obvious, but those become real as the company grows, right? Those are very real. And you got to say very, you know, very. very firm on those things. And again, it's all about working, but but nobody wants to do that on purpose. It's just a question of being that extra conscience, you know, as the company grows.
0: Got it. And speaking of integrity, and, and that's such an important point. Uh, that is so much of a challenge in, in venture-funded companies that are raising huge amounts of money and there is this pressure to grow. And we have seen that, right, with, with the WeWorks and the Theranos of the yes. world. And what do you think uniquely is a CFO's role? First of all, I should ask you being in the hot seat? Yeah. Is there real pressure to kind of uh, cut corners and, and things like that? And then how do you deal with some of those things? And also, you know, what do you think the role is of the CFO to make sure that you don't become this cautionary tale right before you go public? Uh, and then you, know, you you look back into the business and and the question comes up like, what is, this, what is the CFO doing all along, right? And, and uh, yeah. how, how do you think about that pressure and challenge, and the role of that CFO in those situations.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and and I think on you know one of the one of the ways that uh, I I've tried to manage that because yes, you're exactly right. It's that that has been the theme. I mean, again, if you like growth, and that's what you 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 aspire to be a part of, you, you're also going to have to deal with the pressures, right? And and as a CFO, as you said, you have a little bit more of a unique responsibility in which you want to support the growth, but you also have to have guardrails at, at, to your point, right? And, um, you know, I think first thing at first is like, always when you're looking at a company to join, you know, whether it's a head of finance CFO, you got to make sure the integrity at the management level, right? There are no questions around that kind of stuff, right? You don't want to get in, into it into it, a situation, uh, you know, off the bat where there are some questions there, you know, point one. Now, point two, if that's, that's there and you feel comfortable, point two is, you know, I really think it is around, um, you know, making sure that, you know, you don't compromise, like you can, you can, you, you cannot compromise on, on, on way, the way your company can, will appear to your, to your point, to your investors, your stakeholders, your owners and everything and your own employees, right? Like you cannot compromise on, on, you know, because what people see is what is reality, right? You have to remember that. And so, Regardless of whether you think that may be different underneath the hood, what people see is reality. And so that's where I think it's super important that you keep that front and center. And then also, materiality, that's another thing that you also keep front and center because you could drive yourself crazy. And this is maybe even harder for folks coming from an accounting background where everything has to be perfect, right? And like, you gotta be very careful you don't over pivot to that. Because at the end of the day, when you think about investors and, and, uh, and stakeholders and everything else, like if you're 90% plus accurate in what you're doing, you're ahead of the game, right? And, and so that 10%, that may be wrong. And again, not purposely wrong, but just saying that, you know what, you can't focus on it or whatever, but, oh, I know 90% of this is correct. Then you're going to be fine. You're going to be in a great place. And so that last 10%, though, can, can you could spend twice as many hours on that 10% and get nowhere. So I think that's the other thing is materiality is really important is how does somebody look at this and are we at least 90% correct? You
0: know, those right. two things. That's great. So uh, I I'm gonna I have a few more questions for John, but I'm going to remind everybody that there's a Q&A button uh, at the bottom of your Zoom window. So if you have questions for John, please uh, type them in there. I'm going to come to them very soon. So John, I I, I always like to ask, uh, CFOs, you are kind of in the hot seat of a uh, uh, very fast growing uh, unicorn business. But as you look back at your career, you've been doing this for what a little more than 20 years at this point, right? Like yeah. how has that job maybe changed uh, over the course of, of those 20 years in terms of the operational uh, finance? And uh, that's one piece of it. Part B of that question is, as you look into the next 10 years, a lot of the people I'm sure in the, who, who are listening in today, uh, they're going to be up for that CFO role in the next five years, in the next 10 years. And and uh, if you were to try and look around the corner a little bit, uh, do you have any advice uh, for them about how things might be changing and skills that, that you uh, recommend they try to build up now, right?
1: That's great. It's a great question. You know, and I think, you know, I think, um, so let's talk about sort of the, the evolution to today. You know, I, I think, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I do think um you know, traditionally speaking, you know they're the, the chief financial officer or whatever head of finance, whatever you want to call it, like, um, you know their primary function historically had been more of a fiduciary duty, right around risk reduction, compliance, right, those kind of things. Um, that's now you know that's now just a sliver of the current CFO's responsibility, right and and value add, right? So, so I think that that's changed right over the last five to 10 years, um, you know, from the, the compliance aspect, from the governance aspect, still important, still there, fundamental pillar, but, but you have to be able to, to get into the game, right? And I, I keep using that metaphor, but maybe overusing it a little bit of the kind of scorekeeper versus versus a coach, right? And so you need to move fundamentally to that, to, to being in the game with people and looking at alternatives, you know, constantly evaluating your company and your, you know, in a kind of a red, yellow. I like to use the red, yellow, green mindset, right? Like, what's green? Let's do more of that, right? Red? Ooh, we need to figure out what's going wrong and try to fix it. Yellow? Let's put it on the watch list. And so, like that kind of mentality, kind of constantly helping grow a company is really important for a CFO. And then I think, you know, it's even as we go forward, um, I think technology is changing so much too that you know, as you build teams and you help companies scale, I mean, one of the things that, that I, I am, you know, I, I stress incredibly, uh, incredibly well, or what my own team does too, is let's, let's make sure that we, you know, kind of automate the, this, the things that take too much time and that are more simple. And let's spend our brain power on things that are, are, are more difficult. You know, and I think that's more and more of the future. I mean, you, you guys can see, I mean, obviously there's all this buzz on AI automation and, and, you know, and, and of course that's, that's kind of buzzy, but it's also real. I mean, we're seeing real solutions that we use, uh, that we provide or we're using internally that can really short, shorten the cycle around all the manual different work that accounting and finance used to have to do. Um, and and really shorten that right, and that so that you and your team can focus on the things that really take human intuition input, things like that, right? And I think that's going to be more and more right. Accounting and finance teams, you're going to always be lean, right? Nobody, everyone that goes through budgets know like it's not like we're like, oh, what does everybody want? They're blank open, you know, open checkbook for all the finance and accounting to hire anybody they want. Like that's never the case, right? And so it's a question of like. Be smarter. And by the way, you know, It it's actually becomes easier if you can have, you know, less people doing more interesting things with less manual work. So I think that's another big piece of the future, um, as well as we scale to
0: grow. Got it. And, and as you look to the future, I at least know a couple of CFOs of, of uh, impactful companies who literally quit and are doing their own SPACs. So John, when yeah. are you doing your own SPAC?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's the other thing that's interesting, right? Is And by the way, there's plenty of legitimate companies that are exploring this, which is great. Uh, but I also think that's another interesting thing is CFO, important for CFO to understand too, is a little bit of the um, there are market dynamics that are, that are. as you know, we, we live in a, an interesting world where things change so fast and fads fads come and go. Um, and so I think, you know, not that SPAC, SPACs, SPACs is probably here to stay and it's a fundamental thing, but we also, humanity has a chance to sometimes, you know, over, over, maybe press too far and then come back and there's a pendulum that swings on these things. But, but yeah, you know, for a for CFO, like, you know, financing, I mean, again, I think no matter what, like a CFO's responsibility is to ensure, help ensure adequate capital is in the business to fund and achieve its goals and doing it in an efficient manner as you grow. And whether that's a fact to your point, whether that's an IPO, whether that's private funding, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's just how do you get it? How do you get it at a, at a, at a, at a good rate of return for the company? Um, how do you get great investors to help you? And then, how do you how do you maximize that over long term? The rest of the vehicles, I think, are more um, kind of window dressing on that. If yep. will
0: it makes sense. And before I jump into uh, questions from the audience, yeah, if you have any, please use the QA button at the bottom of the Zoom window. Um, you know, I'm going to quickly, you know, ask everybody uh, uh, if you're interested in learning more about Airbase. We're a spend management platform, and our goal is to bring all non-payroll spend that. Typically lives in many different systems like corporate cards and bill payments and expense reimbursements and all that into a single platform. If you're interested in learning more, I think Laura's going to put up a quick yes or no question. Please let us know, and we're happy to uh, reach out to you and, and tell you more. All right. Yeah, awesome. I, don't a, I don't
1: need a demo because we're a happy customer, but thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for that. And, and I was I was not going to uh, you know do uh, do the sales pitch on your behalf, but yes. And then your team has been amazing to work with. And, and uh, you know, uh, Winston, if All you're right. listening, you're awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So back to the questions, uh, uh, you know, Harry wants to know uh, the simple question of what's your superpower, right? Like when you think about, uh, you know, maybe I will elaborate on that a bit and ask you, you talked about filling gaps in your own skill sets, but what do you consider to be your own superpower versus where, you know, if you take on a new CFO role, what are you trying to uh, hide for, right?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I've just, I don't know, it's affinity from, from early on, ever since I can remember, you know, way early as a child, all the way growing up and reinforcing it is kind of, I love kind of constantly seeking out, um, uh, you know, I would say, I don't know if anomalies are the right word, but, but what I would say is like, I've always been sort of gifted in being able to. Kind of look through lots and lots of, of data and trends and 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 call it and, and sort of pick out where things look unusual either positively or negatively if you will and and it's kind of that hunt i mean it's that analytical mindset i guess is that I've, I've always had and really kind of trying to strive to find you know answers in data right or questions even finding the questions is just as important as finding the answer like what are we asking the right questions and so I think that's just one of the things I've been, been gifted with, and I constantly reinforce that with my teams is, is always be looking at things the way you're doing them, right? And saying, hmm, could is this? what if we tried it this way? Or what if we looked at it this way? What if we turned it upside down and looked at it this way? And so I think that's just something I've, I've constantly find, you know, valuable, entertaining, and fulfilling. You
0: know? Got it. That's great. And, uh, you know, Matt has maybe a kind of a follow-up question to that, which is, the, your typical first kind of set of hires, uh, yeah. you know, at each stage when, when you're building out your teams, right? Or or uh, and yeah. what do you think about maybe outsourcing some of that work, if you're an uh, accounting firm and and things like that? And what, what's your general philosophy on outsourcing? Also,
1: yeah, it's a great question. So you know, Harness to just give you a, a real life example. So Harness was was
0: we're we're now bigger than
1: than we were when I joined. Um, but like when I joined, right, it was, um, it was early, it was the earliest I've done. And, and to be honest, and, um, and part of that had attraction in that uh, there was nothing there. So I could build it. Part of it was scary, like, oh, my gosh, I'm gonna have to go build it all right. So so but, um, you know, so as a real world example, you know, I came in to harness, everything was outsourced, um, as I stepped in and done done very well, right? I mean, you know, Jody, our founder, he's, he's been around the block, he, he kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, But he had, you know, kind of an IT, he had an accounting, finance, we had legal, you know, we had all these outsourced functions, um, which again, we're working fine for a small, right, as you're smaller too, right, it it was working fine. But we were growing so quickly that we needed to phase that in-house, right, over time. And so, you know, number one, I go back to, as you said, solve solve for your weakness first, right, or solve for what you don't know first. And while I had an accounting background, I'm not as well versed on the newer accounting topic 606 right all those things I, I know enough to be dangerous but I am not an expert or rolling out some of the new systems that have come come out now right like within NetSuite modules advanced you know all these different advanced revenue mod blah 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 blah. so what I said is okay controller like accounting manager controller number one priority for me right because we can pull that in-house and somebody knows lives and breathes that better than I do these days I can do fp on my own for now right I'll just do that and so that's how I did and then legal, so we had legal. Next thing, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> but I I know enough to be dangerous. But I knew that that was somebody I needed to bring in, off, you know, and start saving money on external legal bills, right? And I brought that in quickly. Um, it same way, right? So you know, counting it and legal, and again, all sequenced in, in in sort of my, you know, call it importance level of what's what I have and what I don't have in my background. And then finally, as we I got that. You know, call it fundamental, um, you know, call it operating uh, group in the house, which is great. Then I started to expand FPNA after that, right? Where I could bring in, I have an excellent leader in FPNA today, uh, Jeff Merlin, and, and you know, lucky enough to find him, works with Winston closely. Um, and 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 it, he's now building his team out, right? And so, but but obviously without him in that function today, we couldn't do anything. That we're doing today, but early on, you know, I could handle it right early on, and so that was kind of the sequencing as as I was building out.
0: Got it. And I will point out to everybody what you quickly said, which is you did SPNA yourself in the early days, which you know a lot of people with your level of experience might say that I'm not going to do that and and yeah. and uh, want people from the get go but i think it's awesome to hear that you said no i'm going to do this uh, myself until the company is at a stage yes. where uh, we need somebody full time uh, to do it right and, and that, that's awesome to hear and uh, you know, another uh, you know slightly unrelated question is around you 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 reference benchmarking a few times yeah. and the importance of benchmarking and uh, you know again harry has this question of what's your best source for benchmarking metrics for and mid-stage uh, startups, right? And how have you gone about getting that data?
1: Yeah, I will tell you, it is a challenge, you know, and it's interesting because private private company uh, data, and actually, you know, Joe, this could be an opportunity for, for your company to help out here in this too. Um, it's a challenge, I'll be honest, right? And like, because, you know, public company data, we can all go get and we can pull it down and there's different ways to automate getting the public company data, which is helpful as your company is bigger and you want to compare. But in the early days, it's hard. Um, so, you know, a couple things that, that I found helpful on that. And uh, I'll just call out one firm, for example, and, and other venture firms do this. So it's not, but, you know, and, and Scale Venture Partners is a, is a local, is a is a Bay Area firm that uh, has done incredible work on benchmarking and they share it. Uh, so I, I encourage you guys to look up Scale Venture Partners. Um, they have a lot of great data that they share over and over on benchmarking around private company. Um, and, and I think the more I, I really, and more VCs are getting into this, and I think growth equity, because I think there's just so much great knowledge to share there. Um, but it is, it is hard going. I mean, the other thing I would say is finding the networks. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, I know you guys at Airbase have a network, right, of, off, I, I, I didn't know the name of it, but I love it, off the ledger. But, like, again, find, find people in similar companies and spaces as you and, 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 and compare ideas, compare and contrast, like, you know, and, and that's, that's really powerful. I mean, I still do that every planning cycle or every time we're thinking about different investment areas and things like that, you know, magic number, what should it be? Well, it depends. Are you an enterprise company? Or are you a, are you a self-service company? Because it's different. What's your payback period? Well, it's going to be longer if you're enterprise. So like all those things like, you know, are, are part of yes, knowledge that you learn as you grow but also from these communities, you know, I mean, like, like, like Airbase, you have one, scale has one, um, you know, Menlo Ventures is an investor of ours. They have one. That's great. So make sure you check with your, with your, your investors on this, because they love to share as well on that stuff.
0: That's great. So I have time have a couple more questions. If you have any, please get them in. So Michael has this question about, you also talked about as you engage with the rest of the company, you know, moving from a bit of a scorekeeper role to a coach role, uh, you know, any advice on actually pitching finances value to other functional teams and how do you convince them that, Hey, finance can actually be helpful in uh, you know, thinking through your goals and how you accomplish them. Right.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. <clears throat> um, yeah, in all companies, you know, it's interesting and in, in, every company is a little bit different because to your point, uh, who asked the question, great question. Some, some companies may have whether it's founders or, or management teams that could, could have had different experiences in their past, or maybe haven't had any experiences in their past with finance, right? It can be different. Um, You know, so in those situations and I've, I've been there as well. And, and the the thing I can say is that, you know, one thing that really helped me early on my career too, is you establish, you've got to establish sort of these one-on-one relationships, you know, and, and, and one-on-one uh meetings you know set up times consistent times with various whether it's leaders or various business owners or partners in the company and to and to really kind of talk shop with each other and and not just be about like what you don't want to do is it can't just be about process and budget because if you just stick to process and budget you won't ever really get that next level of connection where they will want to ask for advice and vice versa and so I think that's where important is you form those relationships and you ask questions about, hey, can you t- can you share a little bit about your big goals? Like, what are your department's big goals this year? How can we help? You know, like, we you know, we're going to help with the fund. You know, we're going to help make sure. How do we help make sure you get the investment you need to get your, like those kind of questions, those leading questions are really important. And then you can, you can fill in from there.
0: So basically become a resource to help them succeed in their goals, right? Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. if it's a sales leader, how do I make sure I help you get into your accelerators and blow this plan out of the water, right? And- exactly. You know,
1: we always say in, in finance, we always make that joke. We write, say like the one variance that we all want to see is sales commission expense. Because that means we overachieved our plan. If we see that, we, we love that variance. <laughs> so it's like, yeah,
0: same thing. Put your, you know, offer your help. Offer the help directly. Um, visit- yeah. That's great. So I will end with a uh, last question. You quickly mentioned how you now work with uh, uh, you know, uh, a founder who's been on the block, who's done that. He's actually been incredibly successful with his previous company. Um, sure. w- what is that experience like? If I'm not mistaken, you've also worked with, you know, uh, first-time CFOs, and, and now it looks like yes, or CEOs. And now you have worked with. Uh, yes. You're working with a fairly uh, successful one, very successful uh, CEO who. Uh, has been around the block, who's done that, who has, I'm assuming, strong opinions about how things are done. And uh, so what are the, is it all pros or are there some challenges with having somebody who's pretty public in terms of their profile and success? And, uh, you know, what's that experience uh, been like?
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I I think they're, they're both, they both have so many benefits in different areas, right? And challenges. I mean, it's, it's it's, it's not, it's not, like I said, it's not always, it's not always simple. I think, you know, with, with folks that have had a few, you know, goes at this, right, of startups, you know, successful building and exits, right? I mean, the great thing about that is working with those folks have pattern recognition, right, in that, in that. so, so, so you, can, you can, you know, maybe focus on some different things, um, different nuances around the business and growth and everything else. Now, uh, with a younger, you know, I'm sorry, with a, a less experienced um, kind of management team or CEO, it's, it's also has great benefits though, in which in which you can really be a mentor yourself, right? As a CFO who's, who's seen, seen some of the movies before. Uh, but you, you, you gotta just make sure that whoever you're working with, whether it's a first time, multi-time, whatever, are receptive to the concept of finance and the CFO being a business partner, right? Like that's just table stakes. Like if you're not, if, if that's something that is just so important um, to have that sentiment and that kind of tone from the employees that that they're willing and open to, to have that relationship. Right? That's that's
0: what's critical. Got it. John, this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you're, you're incredibly busy. This is also the end of the month when, yeah. when busy time for sales driven kind of companies where a lot of deals are coming together and really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation I'm sure uh all of the uh, listeners did too thanks again. thank you no
1: really really did as well thank you so much for having me and uh yeah don't be shy if anyone ever wants to connect and, and talk more always happy to thanks again for having me
0: yeah and, and john's on LinkedIn uh you should go ahead and, and uh, connect with him and and uh, you know have a have a good rest of the day great thank bye. you all bye thanks everyone